Like a Word. Welcome back to Weed Like a Word, part three. Part three. With me, Paul Waters. Me, Stephen Colgan. And Serena Patel, author of Anisha, Accidental Detective. Yeah, and Lobster Lover. <laughs> and <laughs> Lobster Lover. Now, 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 we've got a bit of admin here. We've got to cover last week's question. Do you remember what the question was? I remember what the question oh, was. Oh, yeah, it was a really, really complicated question. It was a really question. complicated question. This, this, this was David Leach. David Leach um, from Titan Comics, comic artist, Psycho Gran, all yeah. sorts of fantastic comics. We went um, to visit him in his house, didn't we? We sat, we sat inside his mind. Yeah, we, we crept in through his ear. toys and everything around. It was brilliant. And um, he had a really typical comic-y type lover question. Yeah, it was a question. David Leach question, because he's a huge movie lover. Um, his question was... What film? In what film would you find Professor X, Fred Flintstone, and Eon Flux going I nuclear? Thought, yeah, and I thought to myself, haven't the slightest idea. Well, I did. I, I knew know, as because, usual because he knows everything. A few genre films. Well, you see, if you think Professor X, James McAvoy, okay. If you think Fred Flintstone, who played Fred Flintstone in the films? Um, this cartoon. What a cartoon! No, the, the, the live action films. I don't and know. And the first live action film. Oh, I don't know. John Goodman. Okay. John Goodman. I only and, saw the cartoon. Eon Flux. Do you ever see that? Nah. The cartoon was brilliant. The film, not so much, but it did star Charlize Theron, and all of those were in Atomic Blonde. Hey, which see, I have that, seen. That, that was the good. nuclear reference. Anyway, Atomic Blonde was good. Yeah. Okay. Then. Yeah. Well, we'll be coming to. Uh, so all of you who got that right, and there were some. There were some. I know. Amazing. Against all expectations by me. Well done to you. So the prize is out. the usual prize. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. Nothing well else, done. Except our, our undying thanks for listening. And paying attention. And uh, paying attention, mm. yes. Now, we'll be coming to you to ask you for a question in a little while. Okay. But first, we're going to talk to the lady sitting to your right, Fritha. Fritha Lindquist. Hello. Which is yeah, a you see, your, your mic is up. She's been lurking here. And you see, the thing is, sometimes authors have a minder. And Fritha is the minder. It's kind of like part martial artist, bodyguard, part minder, part... You might want to say this. And don't say that. And, you know, general encourager. <laughs> so she's been here, you know, with her beady eye, making sure nobody steps out of line. Slapping us when we've said line. things that we shouldn't say. And so when the, if there are any awkward edits in this, it's because Fritha jumped up and said, no, no, I'm taking her out. I'm taking her out. If you change that, I'm taking her out. Stabbed us with a pointy stick. Or yeah. Yeah, so. so anyway, thanks very much for coming in, Fritha. Hi. Now, you are a book publicist. Yes, that's right. And so you're with Serena. What do you actually do? Like, what are you doing with Serena? <laughs> Give us so, an insight. So I'm a freelance children's book publicist. And so I work with Usborne, Serena's publisher. And I handle Serena's publicity campaign around the launch of Anisha Accidental Detective. So that involves telling the media about the book. telling Getting onto very, book. very prestigious yes, podcasts. about to win award podcasts. and Well um, done, well done. <laughs> Organising school great. events, yeah. uh, bookshop oh, events. Oh no, she's not the great. She took you to those schools, that's awful. <laughs> but I do carry, um, in these times, I do carry antibacterial hand gel with me at all times. I thought you were going to say a can of mace for the children. <laughs> no. I've been known to carry rescue remedy as well for authors who need it. So yeah, it's just organising the publicity campaign around the launch of Serena's book and accompanying her on events and to things like this. And so is it a bit annoying when you're sitting there thinking, you know, judging her, 
judging everyone. How are they doing? And then all of a sudden you have to talk. <laughs> oh, yes. It's really annoying. I'm not used to that. <laughs> I know, so I'm normally like the Wizard of Oz behind the scenes. <laughs> uh, well, the thing about We'd Like a Word, you see, is that a lot of book podcasts are quite specific. They're about young adult books or they're about women's literature or they're about this, that and the other. We kind of go out of our way to try and meet people from all aspects of the industry, sort of writers, publicists, uh, editors. Yeah, editors, agents, everyone, because we want to give people a complete view of what the industry is like. So we love talking to people like you, so we weren't going to let you sit on the sidelines <laughs> and do nothing, even though, as you pointed out, you have been up since five this morning, haven't you? Oh, yes, that's also what publicists do. They get up very early to make sure authors get on the trains and go to the right places. Oh, you wouldn't goodness. know to look at her, it's only because she told us that. No, well, it was the gentle <laughs> snoring during part one. I think it was, it, was the, uh, it was the giveaway. I edited all that out. Cressida Cowell. Yes. You used to do her. So she's How to Train Your Dragon and all so, that yeah, stuff. So, yeah, she's the author of How to Train Your Dragon and her new series is The Wizards of Once. I, I didn't work on that. How to Train Your Dragon I worked on from the very early days. Yes, she was uh, announced as the Waterstones Children's Laureate earlier this year. Mm-hmm. So absolutely delighted to and see more her in that role. And more importantly, Steve, more importantly. the person who's giving out the awards oh. is going to happen. Oh, yes, because she was the author of the book fair, wasn't she? she was, oh. yeah, yeah, so, you know, not only we're missing out on the bubbly and the canapes, you know, we're and the, the crying into our drink when we don't Chris win. Oh, oh, yeah, if we did win, we would have met Chris. And that would have well. been the best bit meeting it her, she's been, brilliant. So does she have a dragon? <laughs> <laughs> Is she a bit of a dragon? <laughs> well, she grew up on a she she um, grew up on an island where she uh, I think had been inhabited by the Vikings all those years ago, and you can see the sea three hundred and sixty degree round. Yeah, and so she believed that you could see dragons. Yeah, but I've, maybe it's for the best. It was all cancelled. Yeah, I know. I've been to islands like that. It's really weird. I remember going out a few years ago to um, well, I went to the Hebrides a couple of years ago, but but I went out about ten years before that. It was still when the Hebrides were very much in the grip of the Presbyterian ministry. So much so that we got warned on the flight coming over from Glasgow Airport that we may not be able to land because they'd linked arms across the runway because we were daring to try and land a plane on a Sunday. <laughs> but that was still very, you know, there's, there's dragons and pictures of, of big hairy men with swords everywhere and the, and the, the people are all sort of very hairy and sort of, ah, you can, you can, the Viking well, think, influence is very strong. Yeah, you I can talk when... about people being hairy. Yeah, sorry, sorry. But, well, I'm, I'm a Celt myself. I'm a Celt myself, you know. So, He's just had his but, annual uh, haircut. I have had my annual haircut. They're, they're strong, fierce people. They have to be with that climate. Um, and you can believe dragons God, really absolutely. could have existed when you're somewhere like you that, really can't can. you? So you've worked with loads of authors. Not asking you to name them all. Yeah, loads quite a lot, yeah. So who's been the most annoying? <laughs> I am absolutely not going to answer that. Everyone in children's publishing is It's hard to pick them out. There's so many. Okay, well, most idiosyncratic. <laughs> Do you remember any like, funny anecdotes from your days working with various ones? I tell you what I find really fascinating with when you're out and about with children's authors and listening to them talking in schools and at book festivals is their sort of journey to how they became authors. And it always involves a love of books mm. and it always involves a sort of personal story, whether that's spending holidays on an island or whether it's escaping into books like Serena did. Um, there's always something in their past, like I guess like... Um, authors that write books for adults. Yeah, we had Angela McMahon in, who's a, another book publicist who's working with Anne Cleves recently, Tony Kent, Ian Rankin in the past, and she was saying it's really important, or it certainly helps if the author has some sort of backstory mm. and is good at talking, so you must yeah. have been pleased when Serena came your way. Yeah, because Serena's got... A, I mean, in some, some ways, it's 
it's quite a sad backstory, but actually the fact that Serena says she found salvation in books and went to her local library and found those characters that are different and stand out and are good because they stand out for being different was um, it was nice to hear that as your backstory and it's you can see how she's got to where she is today. But yeah, authors always have something fascinating about them. What and happens how they if they don't? Write. I, mean, I don't so, think they some, get... Some of them don't. Do you think I don't think they get published if they don't? Because you can't. Ah, that's interesting. You can't ah. write a brilliant book, I don't think, and get it published if you don't have something really exciting to say. And when you've been sitting listening to lots of interviews with writers over the years, can you recall maybe the the most foolish questions that people have asked, or maybe kind of foolish responses that people give, or maybe things that you think? I hope they don't ask this. Um. Be diplomatic. Um, no, yeah, no be, don't be don't be diplomatic. <laughs> well, you hold on. You, if you do be diplomatic, if you're talking about us in this room right now, <laughs> otherwise, don't be. Well, I guess with I guess with journalists, you always have to be careful that they're not trying to kind of ask a scoop question. You need you want them to stick to the questions that the author is comfortable answering. Oh yeah, they they, they will pick at it. They will yeah, pick it. Like, so that's like. like, like for instance, I, well, I guess if you're, were, oh, I don't know. I'm fishing for a question know, to ask Serena here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose I'm just going to pick up on something that was said earlier about the escaping into books thing. I worry, and I do genuinely worry that kids aren't reading as much as they used to. Libraries are folding all over the place and that sort of thing. And I worry that kids now, if they were found themselves in a situation where everything's coming in on top of them and they're feeling like you did when you were 16. Are they still escaping into books? They're just escaping into YouTube or into their phones and things like this. And and will that be as useful? Because you you learn a lot from books. I'm not sure you learn a lot from watching some bloke grinding on a skateboard down a hill and banging his head. Do you think that the future is safe in that respect? Do you think kids are reading enough? I mean, I love the fact that you're doing this book and you're going in and talking to schools. So that's exactly what we need. We need that sort of inspiration. I think that's where the kind of push from the grown-ups needs to happen, really, that we need to be encouraging children to read more for pleasure and we need to be showing them that reading is still, you know, the thing that can help and can provide that safety and that safe space. I think the online thing is worrying. But again, I think that's the responsibility of us as grown-ups to, to monitor that and to not let children get to a point where that is the kind of default as it were and I think if we foster a love of reading from an early age and we use our libraries and and schools are able to bring authors in for author visits and it's about providing the right kind of nurturing ground isn't it the the right foundations and I think if we if we as grown-ups lay that foundation from an early age then I think children will grow up with a love of reading books are competing for children's attention more than they ever have done before like you say there's youtube there's there's tv shows that are so brilliantly produced these days it's it's easier to watch a tv show than it is to read a book and games and and youtube but what we all have to remember as adults nurturing this next generation is the power of reading for pleasure so something like the national literacy trust have got um, they've got evidence they've done loads of research into this reading for pleasure is 
such a great, uh, such a big um, indicator into socioeconomic success in later life. So that's why, as an industry, and why we need to be lobbying the government. We need to be doing so much more around reading for pleasure here, here. with our children. Absolutely. And it's it's a statutory requirement to have a library in prisons, but not in primary schools. And that's incredible, isn't it? And if we want the next generation to be more empathetic to be intelligent, to be creative. We need to all work together to nurture a love of reading and to, to get those the, the children's attention away from the games and the TV and into books. That's a good, strong message. Speaking of getting people to read, we like featuring and celebrating a bookshop in every episode. And this time I've been to certainly one of the most beautiful buildings, one of the most beautiful settings for books. I'm on the very fashionable Marylebone High Street in London and there are lots of good places to spend money on reading matter. There's Robert in the morning selling the big issue, outside Waitrose of course. Oxfam have a good second-hand bookshop. But the loveliest, no offence Robert, is Daunt Books. Gorgeous frontage and in the windows today. We have Parallel Lives by Phyllis Rose, taking up one window. Uh, next one along, Socho by Elisa Shua Tusapin. And over in the last one over here, we have Seshi Yokomizo, The Hanjin Murders. It's been uh, a bookshop since 1912, and James Daunt took it over in 1990. Let's go in and see what they have to say for themselves. Hello there. Where have you come from and what are you looking for today? Um, we are from the United States. I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. And I'm from Southwest Michigan, formerly Chicago. And we're in the Marleybone area visiting our niece and came in to check out the bookstore. And you've got a book? I have The, the Flame Trees of Thicca, which many people in England would know. It's written by Elspeth Huxley who was a British writer. She also worked for the BBC. Um, she grew up as a young child in uh, Western Kenya, um, a little bit by Nairobi. And this is the first book about her childhood. Okay. See anything that appealed to you? Yeah, absolutely. This is the first time I've ever seen a card of an African gray parrot. And since I own a parrot, I'm delighted to buy this. But I have to say we were thrilled to see the travel section because it has both the guidebook type of books and also you know, Literature. fiction and nonfiction about the different countries. What, what bookshop would you go to when you were back home? Uh, well, in the United States, there are a lot of big chain bookstores, and a lot of people um, order their books off Amazon, of course. Um, in my particular town, we have a lovely independent bookstore called The Bookworm in Omaha, Nebraska. And um, so that's uh, where I would go. Okay, and what about you? And we have a couple of small town independent bookstores and we miss the larger chain stores which have mostly closed unfortunately so it's delight delightful to see a store like this okay thank you very much i'm here with someone who has no official title so you better tell us who you are and what you do so my name's rose and i work for Dawn books uh, in the marylebone high street shop Tell us what you like about the shop. I mean, describe it. It's a fantastically beautiful so place. It's an Edwardian bookshop, which was built, finished in about 1912. It's been a bookshop ever since it was built. 
It became Daunt Books 30 years ago this year and um, we do things a little bit differently in that we arrange all of our books by country. So whether it's a, a novel or a travel guide or a history or a biography um, about any particular country, then um, you go and you will find all of those books together. On We're the standing just in front of one of my favourite books of all time, A Time of Gifts by Patrick Lee well, Fermor. One of our very favourite authors. Everyone should read it, he's fantastic. Apparently Greatest Living when he was living, until fairly recently, Englishman. I like to think Greatest Living Irishman too. Yeah, I would agree. What do you like reading? Uh, so I read a real mixture of um, fiction and non-fiction. I'm very much looking forward to embarking on the new Hilary Mantel when we're allowed to take it out of the shop tomorrow. So is it hidden away in the basement? It is hidden away under lock and key. <laughs> this is, I suppose, quite a celebrity haunt as well. Who do you have coming in? Uh, it can be. We wouldn't like to give away our secrets, um, but we do do have uh, many well-known personalities who, who do come in quite often. Anyone who's dead. Anyone who's dead. It's, it's difficult for them to frequent workshops. Yeah, but you're allowed to blab about them. <laughs> I can't think of any dead celebs who've been in. <laughs> oh, well. Listeners, I tried. Describe where we are now, because it's quite an unusual room. So we are in the back of the ground floor, and um, we are standing underneath the gallery with a large window um, with some stained glass on it at the end. Um, and the whole the whole shop floor to ceiling, so it goes up two floors, you can see it's all covered in bookshelves. With um, We've got a kind of a gallery going round upstairs, and a skylight running along the centre of the ceiling, lighting us up, and more under people tramping up and down the stairs to the basement as well. Now, what sort of books have been selling well at the minute? What's popular? Popular at the moment, we've had, there's been a real spike in political books, um, popular politics, I suppose you call it, um, since Brexit, Trump and populism. Always fiction, um, and we've always always sold um, a, lot of, a lot of history as well. Anything in particular people are asking for? It's all about Hilary Mantel. And if a writer wants to get their books in your shop, how do they go about it? If they're not published by a mainstream publisher, then they are welcome to just pop in and show us a book and we will tell them there and then if it's something we can stock or not. <laughs> how many harsh do conversations do you have a week? Many. Or a year many. or whatever. Oh, many. Yeah. <laughs> Lots. Oh dear. Well, um, tell us some other things that, that happen in the shop, maybe out of the usual run of business. Most nights of the week, Monday to Friday, we have either a book launch um, or a talk going on in the shop. Um, so there's always always lots going on and lots of buzz and we try and run quite a lot of children's events. So we bring all sorts of people in. This week is uh, World Book Day week. World Book Day itself is tomorrow. So we've had school classes in and out um, every morning this week and we'll do it again So tomorrow. how come you're not dressed up? Well, I know. Tomorrow is World Book Day. If you come back then... then and then what are you going know. to be wearing? That sounds an inappropriate question to be asking, but anyway, too late. Um, well, my daughter's going as Asterix, so perhaps I should do the same. Very cool. Very cool <laughs> daughter. You get mentioned, not you personally, well, maybe you personally, but the shop gets mentioned in fiction quite a bit. Uh, so Anthony Horowitz, in one of his very recent books, uh, mentions the shop by name, including my colleague Rebecca, who was not so happy to be described as grey-haired. We like Anthony Horowitz because he's been a guest and we'd like a word. Uh, Mick Heron also has uh, written about the shop. I don't think we are, don't think we are named, but it's his favourite bookshop in Marylebone High Street, he calls it, and he's very He's a man of great taste. He is, he is, of course. So if you want to meet Mick Heron, you might find him here. <laughs> uh, you do often find him here. You featured on a television show as well. 
Charles Dance did Who Do You Think You Are and uh, filmed a part of it in the shot because um, they discovered that his ancestors, some of his ancestors had something to do with a building which was previously on this site before it was a bookshop. Oh, that's what I call tenuous links, scraping the barrel. So what do you have coming up? So we have our Dork Books Festival, which is on the 19th and 20th of March, Thursday and Friday. And we have a whole host of authors, including Max Porter and Sebastian Barry, uh, Colin McCann, Caroline Criado-Perez. So something for everyone. Caroline Criado-Perez is great. If people want to hear her or see her or any of the other guys, how do they get tickets or how do they go uh, about you it? You can book tickets on the Daunt Books website or you can come into the shop or do it over the phone. But all tickets are available to buy online. Thank you very much indeed. So that was Rose in Daunt's bookshop. It's really lovely. And Robert down the street is the guy to get your big issue from. Yeah. <laughs> yes, but yes. we need a question for listeners from Serena. We do. Okay, so my question is, where are lobster's teeth? Where are lobster's teeth? And you know that other thing I was thinking about? Yes. Can I talk about that or will that maybe give it, give it away too much? No, I Sh- don't think so. Okay. Okay, so the question is, where are lobster's teeth? <laughs> <laughs> and... I'm going to tell you another disgusting fact about (laughs) lobsters. So this definitely, this isn't a problem if I... Okay, right. So, oh, here we are. Lobster fact file. Point six. Lobsters, wait for it, we out of their faces. (laughs) You have been warned. That seems a very good icky note to end on. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Thank you so much. Serena and Fritha, thanks for coming in to see us. And we'll certainly do our bit to spread the message that people should be reading more. And who knows, by the time this show goes out, we may have won an award. Or not won (laughs) an award. Either way, we don't care. We've been nominated. Yay! And so, Serena Patel, thank you very much. Anisha, Accidental Detective. A fun read for what sort of age, would you say? Seven upwards. Seven upwards. That counts me, then. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, that counts most people. So you've been listening to Weed Like a Word with me, Paul Waters. And me, Stephen Colgan. Bye-bye. Bye. Until the next time, you've been listening to Weed Like a Word. Thank you.